Welcome back for the final edition of Littler Mendelssohn's podcast dedicated to celebrating Pro Bono Week. My name is Jenny Schwindemann, and I'm the Senior Director and Associate General Counsel for Littler Mendelssohn. But today I'm taking off those hats and proudly putting on my Littler Pro Bono Committee hat. And I love this hat. This week, in conjunction with the American Bar Association's National Pro Bono Week, we have highlighted several Littler attorneys who give their time and talent in providing pro bono services to various groups and causes in a variety of ways. Pro bono service comes in many shapes and sizes, and today's guest certainly exemplifies that concept. Joining me today is Gary Glazer, who sits in our Long Island office. Gary recently moved to an of counsel role with the firm as he begins to transition from his shareholder status to retired lawyer status. Gary, congratulations on beginning your next chapter and thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Gary, your involvement in pro bono work is so unique. When I was reviewing some of the types of matters and and the organizations that you've worked for, I was so impressed with the fact that you were able to combine your passion for something other than the law, and in your case, arts and music, um, in a way that you can incorporate that into your practice and simultaneously help people or organizations who are in need of pro bono work. Your pro bono efforts have pretty much been exclusively for two nonprofit groups, although I know that you uh, have represented more than these two groups that we're going to talk about today. But I'd like to focus our attention first on the work that you've done for the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. How did you become involved with that organization? Interesting question, Jenny, and I'm not sure I have the exact answer because it was many moons ago. It was in or about 2004 or so. I, at the time, had been looking to do something that I could combine my passion for music and theater uh, with my law practice, but um, I I hadn't yet found it. Apparently, somebody at the Volunteer Lawyers of the Arts heard that I was interested, uh, and they were looking for somebody to sit one of their vacant seats on their board of directors. So I met, I had a lunch meeting with the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. We talked about the fact that I really only went to law school to either become a Broadway actor or a rock star. And at this point in time, it was clear that neither of those was going to happen. So we started talking and they were very impressed with my passion for the arts and asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing some of the other board members so that I could consider joining the board of the Volunteer Lawyers of the Arts. And I said I absolutely would. Well, your passion for the law and your passion for the arts goes way back into your family history, correct? Absolutely. My father, uh, may rest in peace, was a a violinist. He played in our community symphony orchestra. And as it turned out, I started uh, playing violin uh, at his direction and request when I was about eight years old. And the conductor of the community symphony orchestra actually was my violin teacher. And then throughout school, starting with The Wizard of Oz in third grade, I was in plays and musicals. And I, I had a lead role in many of the high school plays. And that really kind of led to my passion and my desire to want to combine it with my career someday. And your father was also a labor lawyer like yourself? Yes. Yes. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and he was a, uh, a labor lawyer. Uh, he was an attorney with the U.S. Department of Labor Solicitor's Office in Washington. Wow. You're carrying on the family tradition in both ways, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> when you became involved with VLA, what was it like working in the entertainment industry, but not as an entertainer? It was quite fascinating. And 
this was my first entree into really representing any uh, arts organization. It turned out uh, one of the reasons that VLA had reached out to me is they knew my background in traditional labor law. I had been with the National Labor Relations Board and its Boston regional office before going into private practice in New York. And they had a, a member of the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. The League of Off-Broadway Theaters and Producer was in need of an attorney to help them negotiate a new contract, a successor contra union contract with one of the un entertainment unions that they were dealing with. Wow, what a great experience. And certainly with your background, you were the perfect fit for the job. I want to just comment here. I'm familiar with VLA, the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. We have a chapter here in St. Louis. And just for point of reference for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that group, the VLA has a mission that provides a broad range of free legal services or low-cost legal services and educational programs that address the needs of artists, small arts-related businesses, and culture organizations. And I know that some of our chapters throughout the United States also incorporate accountants into their program, and they're called the Volunteer Lawyers and Accountants for the Arts. Gary, your work for VLA uh, began before you joined uh, Littler. I believe that was back in uh, 2016. What type of work have you handled for them recently? Well, most recently, I worked closely with the uh, League of Off-Broadway Theaters and Producers, as well as one of my fellow shareholders, um, Larry Levian here at Littler, in handling the negotiations that the League of Off-Broadway Theaters was uh, having for a successor union contract with the Actors' Equity Union. And we knew it was not going to be an easy one. This was a situation where the arts organizations, particularly theater, uh, was coming out of the pandemic where there had been shut down of all the theaters back in March of 2020. And so negotiating a successor union contract was bound to have uh, some very interesting hills to climb and uh, obstacles to overcome. And, and it was. And the League of Off-Broadway Theaters and Producers, I know that's another one of the major organizations that you have contributed so much of your pro bono time to. Did that develop out of the relationship with VLA? And what type of work uh, have you done for that organization? Uh, it absolutely did. It was one of the first VLA member organizations that I did any work with back in, uh, in or around 2006. And I've been their pro bono labor counsel. I, I became that after after I had the first negotiations with them, I've developed a close relationship with the then president of the Off-Broadway League, and I've handled everything from day-to-day -day advice and counsel in labor and employment matters to negotiating union contracts for them, with them actually, and to handling grievances and arbitration that have arisen with League members and the League itself. Wow, what a, what a wonderful breadth of services you've provided to both groups. And you touched on this. Um, I'm an avid theater lover like so many of us and have missed the live performances during the pandemic. And it's great to see shows and venues beginning to open up again. What types of challenges specifically have the constituents of VLA and the league faced during the last 18 months? Well, in particular, and I can focus on the Off-Broadway League in particular, since we just came out of the negotiations with Actors' Equity, even before the negotiations started, we had reached out to act as equity, as well as the other two labor unions, entertainment labor unions, with whom the league has uh, multi-employer union contracts. Uh, the the Off-Broadway League, in addition to being a professional organization and one where the members get arts uh, assistance from, from the Off-Broadway League, it is also a multi-employer bargaining agent for its members so that we negotiate union contracts. And the types of issues that arose even before the negotiations started would, 
what kind of protocols would the theaters have to have? Would the uh, union member actors and stage managers uh, have to be vaccinated in order to participate in the shows that we're hoping to open up? What kind of changes to the structures where the theaters and the producers were going to be showing their uh, shows? What kind of changes would have to be made to the uh, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, et cetera, to make sure that they were safe with regard to COVID and, and those kinds of issues? So many of the same challenges that other employers have had to face during the pandemic, but also some very unique ones as well. Absolutely. I would be remiss if I didn't add that you have been highly recognized for your contributions to the arts and specifically by the League of Off-Broadway Theaters and Producers. I can honestly say, Gary, that I've never had a conversation with a Tony winner before or even an Off-Broadway Tony winner. Can you share with us a little bit about the award you were honored with a few years ago by the League? I'd be delighted to. In fact, it's one of the things that kind of made me feel like, well, this is not for naught in terms of any kind of remuneration. It wasn't monetary remuneration, but the Off-Broadway League um, has what's called the Lortel Award, named after Lucille Lortel, who was a a benefactor of many theaters and producers um, when she was alive. And the Lortel Award is given and had been given uh, up until um, 2011, only to people who were in the theater industry professionally. But in 2011, I was given a, a Lortel Award for service to Off-Broadway, which was the first non-industry individual uh, who had uh, been awarded such a, an honor. Wow, what an honor. What a, a true honor. Um, and well-deserved, of course. But I just want to comment that uh, you shared a fun fact with me earlier today, and maybe you really should have been on Broadway. I believe you told me that uh, you're a keyboard player and a co-founder of one of your uh, firms, one of your prior firms, Classic Rock Band. Would you like to share a little bit of information about that? I'd love to. I I was struggling all along. I I figured, okay, I I now have satisfied or had a a mission that I could uh, achieve my uh, joy and, and desire to uh, represent theaters and do work in the theater uh, with my uh, law degree, but I hadn't really done a lot in the music area other than with musical theater. In my prior firm, there was some talk uh, amongst myself and a few of our partners. We were also a, a national firm, much smaller than Littler's footprint, but we had offices in Chicago and New York uh, and Boston in particular. And at one of the partners' meetings, I was talking to a few of my partners and we were talking music and they all said, wouldn't it be great if we could form a rock, a classic rock band for the firm. And in around uh, 2012, 13 or 14, we formed a a classic rock band. I became the keyboard player. My fellow uh, Littler attorneys who are listening and may enjoy puns would like the name of the band. It was called Bill Early and the Collections. And we competed for three years in a row in the law firm Battle of the Bands in Washington, D.C., which was a fundraiser for the Foundation for the Homeless in Washington. It was, it was, it was really wonderful. Uh, it gave me that performing desire, satisfied, and playing music uh, along with my, my law degree. Well, I think maybe you need to consider forming a Littler rock band. I'm sure that some of your peers listening today share your passion for classical rock music, and maybe we'll be hearing from a Littler group soon. That would be great. (laughs) Our time, Gary, is about up, and I really want to say a sincere congratulations to you on the Lortel Award. It's very deserving and certainly shows your commitment to the arts and to pro bono service. 
In wrapping up, is there anything you would like to say to any of your colleagues in our virtual audience today who might be questioning whether they should become involved in pro bono work? All I can say is I have gotten such joy and pleasure and uh, have such sat professional satisfaction by doing the pro bono work that I've done. And there are many organizations that if you have an interest in the arts, it's a wonderful way to combine your passion for the arts as well as your law practice. But there are so many good organizations out there. And all I can say is uh, Littler is a, a wonderful law firm that has uh, generously uh, sponsored and, and uh, welcomed my performance and, and all the rest of the Littler attorneys who do pro bono work. And I think it's just really something that on a personal level, you can get as much satisfaction as, as anything else, if not more. And I highly recommend getting involved. What a great endorsement. Thank you again, Gary, for your time today and to your contributions um, to the arts and, and to pro bono work in general. If you are interested in supporting the arts with your legal skills, there is a national listing of volunteer lawyers for the arts chapters on the organization's website at vla.org. On behalf of Littler Mendelssohn and the firm's pro bono committee, I want to thank everyone for listening this past week in on our podcast and learning more about pro bono and the difference that a few hours of your time can make in the lives of so many. The need for pro bono never goes away. The pandemic has only intensified that need, particularly in the area of housing, medical care, and public benefits. But other areas of the law, such as education, consumer affairs, family law, immigration, and the arts also need volunteers. Like Gary, if you have a passion, you can probably find a way to contribute some pro bono time to further that cause. Please consider learning more about the ways you can become involved in pro bono and reach out to any member of the Littler Committee for more information. If you are already doing pro bono work, a sincere thank you. You are making a difference and deserve to be celebrated.